Welcome to the Josh Blair Ministry Podcast, a podcast all about bringing inspiration and encouragement to your daily walk with Jesus. We pray the message you hear impacts you as you follow Christ. So we are in our fourth week of our study of Nehemiah out of the ruins, and we've covered over the last three weeks chapters one and two, and if you've not listened to those I would encourage you to go back. You can go pull up our Facebook page, and you can watch those online at the Hosanna Worship Center Facebook page, or listen to our podcast. You can find that on iTunes or SoundCloud. I would encourage you to go back and listen to those. Uh, As we covered in Nehemiah, Nehemiah is of Jewish descent. He is living in a foreign land. He was the cupbearer to the king of Persia, who was ruling over that entire area at the time. And God puts in his heart to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, a city he's never been to, but it's the city of his ancestors. And he feels this burden to go back and begin to build. And so we talked about that in week one. Week two, he gets the permission of the king. Week three, last week, he comes. He has the authority of the king. He has the letters of the king. And he has the hand of God upon him. And he arrives and he immediately meets opposition. Do you remember from last week? He meets opposition face on, but he doesn't allow the opposition and the struggle to determine his calling. He allows God's word to determine his calling and what he's going to be doing in the kingdom of God. And so he begins to build. He rallies the people. He says, hey, we're in trouble. Do you guys remember? He says, we're in trouble, but God is with us. Right now, we're a disgrace, but we're not going to be a disgrace for much longer. And he rallies the people, and the people end chapter 2 with saying, let us rebuild. Let's do this work. Basically, let's do this. That's what they say. They look at each other and say, let's do this. With that kind of accent, too. You know what I mean? Anybody ever say that? Hey, hey, let's do this. No? That's what they said to Nehemiah. We're going to do it. Let's do it right now. Let's do it. They start building the wall. Yeah, you want me to stop that accent? Okay. They start saying, let's do this wall thing. Let's build it together. And they begin to build. And that's where we pick up in chapter 3. We pick up in chapter 3. But before we begin to read chapter 3, I want to ask you a question. Is that okay? That's not the question I'm asking you. I always have people say, can I ask you a question? Yes, you did. Thank you. Let's move on. No, there's, there's another question. I'm asking you two questions. The first one was for permission. The second one is this. Have you ever just done something in life that you really had no right doing? You were really unqualified to do it. You felt unprepared to do it, but you did it, and it turned out awesome. <laughs> yes, I got one yes. Yeah, I, yep, that's me, Pastor. I did that once. You ever done that before? You, you didn't know really what you were doing, but you started to do it, and then it just came together, and you're like, whoa, you shocked yourself? Yeah? I've been having those moments a lot recently. Um, I don't know if you follow me on Instagram or not. If you don't, that's okay. I forgive you. But... Faith and I, we started eating healthier. We were trying to get fit back in October. We needed to slim down. Uh, you know, summer's coming. And um, we started to eat healthier. And we were also, we, we, we live pretty busy lives. Both of us are working on our master's degrees. And we got a couple of boys. And there's, a, there's some bees mixed in there and some bookkeeping that needs to be done. And so we do a lot of these things. And we started to divvy up what needs to happen around the house. And, you know, she's like, do the laundry. And I'm like, maybe one day. But one thing she was like, could you help with cooking and shopping? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. Somebody's got to cook and I'm going to be the guy to do it. Now, I don't know if you can tell by looking at me, but I did not grow up cooking. In fact, when I was in college, this is what I ate every day. I'm not kidding you. 
I had a George Foreman grill, me and my roommates. Shout out to Brian, Jeremy, and Dave. Love you wherever you're at. And we had a George Foreman grill, and we would put, this is how bad we were. We would take frozen chicken breasts from Costco out of the freezer and just put it on the George Foreman grill, not even season it, close that thing, and give it the, the two and a half minutes it deserves. And uh, that's what I would eat. I would eat that chicken breast. I would eat applesauce and baby carrots every day, and we would sit and watch cops on our lunch break. That's what we did. So I'm not a cook, man. That's the experience I came out of life with, right? And so Faith says, can you cook? I start cooking. I look up these lean and green meals. These meals are just meat and, and vegetables, and it's pretty simple. We get tired of that, so I start looking up recipes, and all of a sudden, it turns out good, y'all. I mean, it's good. I mean, I can make cauliflower taste like heaven, I tell you. And she starts telling me, babe, these are great. Like, this is amazing. You need to document this. And so I thought to myself, sure, why not? Why not? What do I have to lose? <laughs> so I start documenting. Now, look it. I don't have any right to be cooking, first of all. Secondly, I have no right telling people this is what I cooked. You should do it too, right? Like, I'm not Rachel Ray. Hello? All right. I'm not Bobby Flay. I'm not Gordon Ramsay. Why should people want to watch me cook and be like, that's a good idea, right? I have no, I have no, I have no, I'm not qualified to do that whatsoever. But I started doing it, and I get a ton of feedback from my hundreds of followers. It's not like I have a tons of followers, but those that do are like, bro, this is really good. This is, I love this. Some people are saying, this is the highlight of my week, which also makes me wonder what they're doing the rest of the week, but... But it's a, I don't, I'm not qualified to do it, but it turned out great. You ever done that before? Has that ever happened to you? You do something and it just turns out way better than you expected it to happen. Partially the reason why I think it took off so well was that I didn't have a fear of failing. What was I to lose, right? That you just don't have to watch it, right? It, it, I was cooking for my wife, and if she didn't like it, well then she would probably start, of cook, start cooking. So I only had that to lose, right, her disappointment. I could have just disappointed her with my cooking. But putting it out there, I wasn't really afraid to fail, and so it didn't stop me from trying. And I think a lot of times fear of failure is really what stops us from even trying in the first place. Some of us, you may not even know that you're good at something because you haven't even attempted to try it in the first place. So maybe you're thinking, I don't have that experience of, of trying something and being shocked that it actually turned out good because I'm, I'm afraid of even trying it in the first place. Fear stops us. It disqualifies us. Sometimes we even disqualify ourselves before we even give it a shot. We say things like, oh, I could never do that. Oh, I could never put that out there for fear of what people might say back to me, right? I would, I'm afraid of how people might respond if I put myself out there. Some of you might be even saying, well, I wouldn't even know where to begin, or I don't even know, uh, I don't have any experience in that whatsoever, so I shouldn't even try, right? I think we've all been there. Have you been there before, where the fear of failure actually stopped you from even trying? I'm going to ask you another question. Where, what are some, and I want some responses. What are some things that fear has stopped us from attempting? Do you have any responses? I'm looking for them right now. What has fear stopped you, fear stopped you from? Singing solos. Sometimes that's a healthy fear. Uh, <laughs> what else? Praying out loud. That's a good one. Anything else? Yeah. Speaking in public. That's a huge one. That's like the number one fear. Speaking in public. What else? Sometimes saying that you're a Christian. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. 
asking for help. That's huge. Fear has stopped us a lot from doing really important things, like speaking in public or saying I'm a Christian or asking for help. Those are really important things. Praying out loud, singing the solo, come on. Fear has stopped us sometimes from asking for that promotion even though we've earned it, we deserve it. Fear stops us. Sometimes it's fear of asking that girl out. What do you think, Adon? Huh? Am I right? <laughs> I'm just saying, bro. I'm just saying, you know, the spirit of fear, break it in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Poor kid, he's like, oh, what? Maybe we got to say my name. <laughs> but fear, fear stops us a lot. It stops us from doing. I thank God fear did not stop me from asking my wife out. Because glory to God, she is a blessing to me and my boys. Adriana loved that a little too much. Something, maybe I touched, maybe that was from the Holy Spirit. I don't know. Oh my gosh. But fear stops us. I think one of the biggest fears is what you said, what you said Michelle, is the fear of sharing our faith. The fear of even telling people that we follow Jesus is a big fear, right? It's a big one. Sharing our faith or finding ways to serve the Lord or demonstrate love for others. I think those are major fears that stop us from even trying. I think for some reason, when it comes to sharing our faith, we are very quick to disqualify ourselves because we say we are not experts. Who am I to tell you about Jesus when I don't really even, I don't know if I know him all that well yet, or I don't know his scriptures that well. I don't, I don't pray as much as I should, so I disqualify myself from sharing what God has done in my life because I don't feel like I have the experience or the know-how to do it well. And we disqualify ourselves. But little do you know that if you would just take a step of faith and boldness, what you do could be amazing. That touched her, man. Good Lord. Put it over the top. i got to be careful of my jokes, y'all. I'm sending people out of the service. Toucher. I think that in a lot of ways, in relation to fear and our faith, we, we set up all of these barriers and boundaries to disqualify ourselves, not knowing that we could do it and we could be awesome at it if we would just take a step of faith. In fact, I think a lot of believers sadly hold this mindset, and it couldn't be further from the truth. Because when God calls us into his family, not only does he say you're a part of my family, but now you're a part of my mission. And God is the ultimate missionary. His nature is mission. His nature and, 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 and his, his character is to reach out to those who are far from him. And so that's what God does. God equips his followers. He gives us the tools necessary to share our faith and to accomplish the great things in the kingdom. See, when Jesus, before he left, he says, now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are disciples of Jesus, yes? If you have a faith in Christ, you are now a disciple, meaning you follow him to be like him. And he sends out his disciples to make disciples. He wouldn't call you to do something that he hasn't equipped you to do. And Nehemiah chapter 3 is, a, is one example, one demonstration of how God equips those who are unqualified to do a job. Right? Looking at Nehemiah chapter 3, as we, as we jump in, you wouldn't necessarily see that by just reading the chapter on your own. And in fact, a lot of times when people are reading this, it's Nehemiah is listing the people who built the wall and where they built. And a lot of times we just read right through it super fast because we're like, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name. 
and he built some part of the wall. Okay, let's get to the meatier part of the story. But I think we skip over a significant thing that is written there. This is the word of God. Every word is God-breathed. It is important for us to know and understand. And God is telling us a story of significance through the writings of Nehemiah as he wrote in his memoirs. And he wrote these things through. And he begins to write down the person's name. So he signifies, God is signifying, he sees those who are doing his work. So no one is insignificant when they're working for God. He sees you, even when you are cleaning the toilets or vacuuming or taking care of the babies in the back. Whatever you do for God, he writes your name down and what you did. That's what chapter 3 first tells us. But as we jump into chapter 3, we'll see that God empowers anyone to complete his work when that person says yes to God. If you want to be empowered to work for God, all you have to say is yes. You don't have to have the right education or the, the right knowledge of the Bible or spend hours in prayer a day, which all of those things are wonderful and good. But your first response just has to be, yes, God, use me. And he'll empower you. My belief is that God can empower you to do, to do great things for him when you say yes to him. So let's read chapter, one starting in, or chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And through two, it says this, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Haniel. And next to them, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakar, the son of Imri, built. So the people of Jerusalem begin to build the wall after Nehemiah rallied them. Let's do it. And they're like, let's do this. And they start building the wall together. And we see the very first people to get started are the priests. The high priest, Eliashib, starts. And that seems logical. The ones that God's going to use are those that are the priests, the kings, the, the, the ones who are in authority, the spiritual leaders. Yeah, we expect them to always go first, don't we? We expect the pastors to stand up and say, God's going to use me and God is using them. And it's a demonstration that God is using those who are available to him, right? So we expect the priests to go first. But what I find interesting is the men that follow the priests in verse 2. The men that follow the priests say that there are men of Jericho. Now, I don't know if you know the story of Jericho or the, the, the biblical story of Joshua and the army uh, coming against the city of Jericho and the walls, and they march around the walls seven times. You know, for seven days they march around the wall, one day, march one time, on the seventh day they march seven times silent, and then they shout, and the walls come tumbling down. You know, know this story, the battle of Jericho? After, after they're defeated, Joshua, he pronounces a curse over Jericho. He pronounces this curse in Joshua, I think it's chapter 26, that this city is going to be cursed, and anybody who rebuilds these walls and rebuilds these gates are going to lose their firstborn and their lastborn son, and this city is going to be cursed. And what I find interesting is that God, when he begins to rebuild his city, he uses the men of another city that's been cursed to be a blessing to this city. Isn't it ironic that in their city, God tore down their walls and they become a curse? But now, fast forward to Nehemiah's day and they're rebuilding the walls of God and now becoming a blessing? I think that it's ironic and I think it's interesting that 
Yeah, the priests go first, but the very next people to follow are people of a curse that God turns into a blessing. What does that say to us? That tells me that it doesn't matter what our past looked like, what we've done in the past, or what curses we've had in the past. God breaks every curse and turns a curse into a blessing. Isn't that powerful? That, yeah, you would say, of course, God will use the priests. God will use the holy people, but God could not use me. God could not use, because of my past, because of what I've done, because of what people have done to me, I am a cursing. God says, no, I'll take that curse, I'll turn it into a blessing. And I'll use you to build the kingdom of God. You're not so far God that God cannot call you and restore you and redeem you and actually make you a blessing even though you think you should be a curse. Isn't that powerful? That God would use a people who were once a curse to be a blessing. See, we could miss that when we just read through these real quickly and we, we skip over the names and what they've done because there's significance there. God sees you when you work for him. He knows you by name. He writes down the good works you do for him and his kingdom because he wants to reward you because he's a good father. He's a good God and he loves us so much. You see, the first point that I want to make to us today is that God can use you to be a blessing. doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, what your life's looked like, or how bad things have gotten, or how bad things are even now. God can use you if you'll say yes to him. If you'll turn to him, you'll put your trust in him. See what God can do. Test him and see how good of a God he is. He's a good God. doesn't matter what it looks like. Just hold on to him doesn't matter what try to hold on to you, you hold on to him. doesn't matter what curse has been spoken over you, God breaks the curse through the cross. Amen? No curse can hang on to you or your family because the blood of Jesus breaks the curse and makes you a blessing. I believe that God can empower you to do great things for him when you say yes to him. So you have these men who are saying yes to God. They're willing to serve and God's doing incredible things through them in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, making a safe place for the people of God to return. See, this whole thing that Nehemiah is doing is fulfillment of God's word that he gave to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, verse 10. God said, you're going to be sent into exile because of your sin, but after 70 years, I'll bring you back. Then 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord, plans to prosper you, right? He's fulfilling his promise through Nehemiah and through these people to build a place for his spirit to dwell. That's what we're doing today in the church. We're building a church. We're building the house of God for the place, for a place for, for God's spirit to dwell, for people to come in and find safety and find security and find hope and find restoration. This church is the wall and where the spirit of God can dwell. Amen? That's what God is doing. He's pouring out his spirit on us and it looks like everyone's on board when they rebuild the wall it looks like everybody's jumping in it said all the people said let's do this and they start doing it they start serving but then you get to verse 5 in chapter 3 and it says this that some of the nobles Nehemiah wrote would not stoop would not stoop would not bend to serve the Lord the nobles would not serve the Lord a lot of times Pride stops us from serving God. Fear can get in the way because we feel like we don't have what it takes. Or we think, that's beneath me. 
I'm not going to clean those toilets. I'm not going to watch those babies. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I do? Do you know my qualifications? If anything, I should be the one preaching. If anything, I should be the one leading worship. You want me to do this? No, I ain't going to do that. The Lord says, I, I see your pride. I see when you would not stoop, bend the knee to serve me. It was, they were too important. They were too high and mighty to bend down, throw some mud on some brick to rebuild a wall. That's beneath me. Meaning, there's a saying that goes, if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. Can I say that again? If you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. Meaning, if you can't serve others, you have no business leading them. Because that's what serving is. Serving is caring and demonstrating what it means to follow Jesus, and then people will follow that example. You're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. This is what God can use, though. God can use a humble heart. The Bible says that he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. What do you need, what do you need to accomplish the work of God in your life? You need grace. Because grace covers a multitude of sin. Love covers a multitude of sin. Grace helps you accomplish the things that you don't feel qualified to accomplish. So if you're humble, God gives you the grace to do the work. Amen? What does it mean to be humble? It means that our hearts are submitted to God and we recognize Him as our Lord. And then when we're humble, God can empower us to do great things for Him. Humility says God's in control. God has power. God has the authority. I don't make my own things my own way. I trust God. And I believe that He makes it possible for me to accomplish the things God's put in my heart. When we recognize that in every situation of our lives, God holds the answer, we can walk in humility. Because he's in control. We can't make it without him. We can't do it without him. That's what humility looks like. Not false humility. False humility says, oh, I'm worthless. I'm ugly. I'm not good enough. I, I just, oh, no. That's false humility. God never said put yourself down. He made you. You're valuable. He sent his son to die for you. He doesn't send his son to die for worthless people. Because you have great worth. So don't put yourself down. You're made in the image of God. So when you tarnish yourself, your self-image, you're tarnishing the image of God in you. So don't do that. But say this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can accomplish these things because God is opening the door for me to accomplish this. He makes it possible for me as I follow his lead. That's what humility looks like. We're talking about how God can empower us to do great things when we say yes to him. And I think there's such a great example found in verse 8. Verse 8 says this, Next to them, Uziel, which might be the same name of our third son, babe. Just think, think about that. Write that down. Uziel, the son of Hariah, that might be son number four. They were goldsmiths, and the goldsmiths start to repair. Now, I think of goldsmiths building a wall. I think, you know what, I could see that. I can see goldsmiths building a wall. You know, they, they work with metal and fire. You know, they're hammering. They have a attention to detail. I can see that. 
You know, that's not a stretch for me. But here's this one that is a stretch for me. It says in that same verse, next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired and then restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Perfumers? What are they going to do? They can make that wall smell good? Like, what right do they have building a wall? I mean, they're, they're, they're used to working with scents and fragrances. And I, I just imagine that this would be a guy that's like, oh, I cannot pick up a hammer. I, I got to make sure I smell good. You know what I mean? But no, God uses anybody and he equips anybody. I'm sure that the perfumers are not saying, yeah, I used to work seven years in construction, building the walls down there. No, but he uses them anyway. He, he qualifies them. They might have been disqualified to build, but he called them to build anyway. I mean, you could have asked the perfumers, what do you know about building a wall? But God uses anybody who's willing to do his work. They were there when Nehemiah said, Let's start building. And they said, let's do it. Let's start building. I might be a perfumer. I might not know what I'm doing. But I believe God will equip me to do the work. And when I'm finished, I'll stand back and I'll shock myself how good that wall looks. Because God used me to do his will. They said yes to God and he empowered them to do great things. I feel like. Christians today feel like the perfumers asked to build a wall when it comes to sharing their faith or serving in some way. I feel like a lot of Christians would say, ah, I, I can't do that. I'm not qualified. I, I don't know how to share my faith. I don't know how to tell that story. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know enough scripture. I, I don't know if I pray enough. I, I, I don't know if I have what it takes. I, I, I need to learn more about the Bible. I, you know, I need to go to school to be more like to learn more. And I, I just, I'm just not ready yet. But when I get there, I'll be ready when I get there. No. It's in the moment of you saying, yes, God, whatever it takes, you can use me. I don't, I don't have it all together. I don't know everything. But God, I'm going to say yes to you. I'll say yes to share my faith. I'll say yes to tell people what you've done in my life. And he'll make it possible. Because God can empower you now to do great things for him if you'll say yes to him now. See, God can take the perfume maker and transform them into a wall builder by them just saying yes. And he can take your life and make you into a soul winner by you just saying yes. See, God, in point number three, God can use a willing heart. You don't have to be a perfect heart. You don't have to be the expert. You just have to be willing. I think a lot of times we allow excuses to stop us from saying yes to God. But don't allow your shortcomings to hinder you from saying yes. Anytime that there's a work for God to do in our lives, often... We, we turn inwardly and we look at our shortcomings. We look at the things that we don't do well and we think, oh God, I can't do this because of this, this, and this. Who did that first? Moses, do you remember? Moses, I can't speak well. Oh, they're not going to believe me. God said, be quiet. I'm the one who's calling you to it. If I call you to it, I'll walk you through it. That's what God will do for us. 
Don't look at you when he calls you to do something. Look to him as he leads you through it. Every time the enemy will disqualify us and we'll even disqualify ourselves because of that fear. But I believe God can use anyone from any walk of life, wherever you're at, wherever you're situated, whatever your economic status may be, whatever you might be doing right now, God can use you if you'll say yes to him. And that's why I love chapter 3. You see goldsmiths and perfumers. You see rulers of districts and priests. You see merchants and business owners all working for the Lord to accomplish his will. I think sometimes when we think we want to do a work for God, we think we all got to become pastors. We all got to become uh, leaders in the church. But God's saying, no, I can use you in your business. I can use you in city council. I can use you in the classroom. I can use you anywhere you go because I'm with you. Where you go, I go. Where your footsteps, I go with you. And I can use you to bring the kingdom of God right there in that midst. That's what I learned from chapter 3. You don't have to be a wall builder to build the wall of God. You just have to say yes to him and watch him work in your life. Amen? Maybe you're saying to yourself this morning, I want to say yes to God and be empowered to do great things for him, but I'm not sure where or how to start. That's the the beauty of chapter 3. It gives us a starting place. Verses 28 and 29 tell us that a lot of the people began to rebuild the walls opposite their own homes. It said that they started building where they lived. They looked outside their front door and said, there's a wall that's broken. Maybe I can start there. I believe that's a demonstration for us that they started with what they saw every day, where they were at. And that's where we can start. We can start in our homes. We can start with ourselves saying, today, God, I choose to say yes to you. And whatever you see in front of you, that's the wall that you rebuild. Whatever life is there in front of you, that's the the life you pour into. That's where you get your hands dirty and you start doing the work of God. You don't have to be called overseas. Your mission field is right here when you step out these doors. When you step out your door in the morning, maybe when you wake up in the morning and it's your spouse next to you, maybe it's when you open your bedroom door and it's your your children running around your house, that's your mission field. That's where you start. It says that they opened their door and they saw the wall opposite their home and that's where they began to build. And that's where we start today. And you can declare this morning... And even if you, don't have, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then you start with you. You say, God, I don't, I don't know what it means to follow you. I don't know what it means to be empowered by you. But if I get to make a choice, I choose today to, today to say yes to you and let you start rebuilding in me what needs to be rebuilt. Maybe you're broken down today. Maybe there's broken areas in your heart and in your life, and you're saying, I need to be rebuilt. I feel broken down, beat down. Well, your yes can be the start of your life being rebuilt by the Father himself. That's your demonstration. That's where you start. You start where you're at. You start with what you see in the mirror every day. And you can make these declarations. I'm going to start rebuilding where I live. I'm going to share my faith with my family. I'm going to share my faith with my neighbors, with my friends and my coworkers. I'm going to be obedient with what I see every day. That's where we start.
We know that God has called us to be a witness to Him, to all the world, and our first step is with what we see every day. You know, when you follow Jesus, no one is exempt from sharing their faith. We don't see that in Scripture. He didn't say, all right, you certain disciples go and make disciples. You guys just be comfortable. You guys don't take any risks. Just be safe. Go to church on Sunday. You'll be good. I'll expect all these radicals to go share their faith. But not you other disciples. I don't want to put you in jeopardy. I'd hate for you to be stressed out sharing your faith. I'd hate for you to be afraid. No, he doesn't say that. He says, you're a disciple. Meaning, when he calls you a disciple, that's powerful because he's saying, you're a little me. You're becoming like me. So to become like me, you got to be like me. And to be like me means you got to be bold and say, I know who Jesus is. I know the one who saved me. I know the one who's changed my life. If that's scary for you, good, that's okay. No one said Christianity was going to be comfortable. No one said it was going to be safe. But they did say it was going to be good. Because you have the good God who lives in you and loves you. But no one's exempt. We're all called to share our faith. And the beautiful thing of it is, though, that circle of influence that you already have is the one he wants you to speak into. He's not asking you to walk up to a perfect stranger on the street and be like, hey, God has a word for you. He's just saying, go to your friend that already loves you. And if you can't share your faith with a friend and them still be your friend, they weren't your friend in the first place. If they, if they abandon you for that first step, like, I need new friends. Amen? Amen? You have a circle of influence that God is calling you to. Open the door, look at the wall, see it needs to be rebuilt and start rebuilding. Amen? That's where we start. And if you're, a, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, your first step is starting with yourself. Choosing to say yes to him and his invitation today to love you, to forgive you, to forgive you of your sin, to make you a new creation today, to give you a new hope and a new future today. And I'll give you that chance in just a moment. Those of us who are followers of Christ and know that you're called to be a witness you might be saying to yourself, well, pastor, like I said, I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert on the Bible. I don't know exactly what words to say. But you, can I tell you that you just need to know that Jesus is with you. And Jesus has done, you just need to know what Jesus has done for you. And just be able to tell people what Jesus has done for you. Can you do that? Can you tell people, look, I'm not the expert, but I can tell you what God has done in my heart. I can tell you what God has done in my life. I can tell you what Jesus has done for me. That's what you need to do. There was a professor that I had, and he gave this awesome example, and I loved it. I'm going to steal it from you. His name is Pastor, or Dr. Robbie Wydell, but he told me this analogy, and I thought it fit so well. He, he gave us this analogy of a court of law. And in a court of law, there's the judge, there's the jury, there's lawyers, but he said there's also witnesses. And you have three different types of witnesses in a court of law. You have the eyewitness, you have the character witness, and then you have the expert witness, right? The eyewitness tells you what they saw. They were there. They experienced it firsthand, and they tell you, this is what happened, this is what they were wearing, this is what I saw, right? That's an eyewitness. A character witness wasn't there at the scene of the crime, but the character knows the person that's involved intimately. 
and says, I know this person's character. I know how they act. I know how they respond. I know what they do in certain situations. I've known this person for years. And there's a character witness. Then you have an expert witness, someone who's gone to school, who's done all the training, might come in and testify about DNA evidence or, or psychology or some type of biology that applies to the case, right? You have always those three types of witnesses in a trial. Well, do you know as believers we're called to be witnesses and we all fit into either one of those categories? Some of us are eyewitnesses. We can witness to what Jesus has done for me personally. I was there. I used to do this. Now I do this. I can witness firsthand what God has done. Yeah? I witnessed it for myself. I can tell you what I saw, what I heard, what if I experienced. You're an eyewitness. Those of us who are, we, we learn Christ more, we become character witnesses. Look, I don't know everything that you're going through, but I can tell you my God is a good God. My God is a faithful God. My God is kind and he's patient and he's just. I can tell you that my God will never leave you nor forsake you. I know his character. I know the kind of God that I serve and I can tell you he'll be there for you if you say yes to him. That's a character witness. Can you testify of his character? Then you're called to be a character witness. Then some of us, we go on, we get education, we, we get higher degrees so that we become experts in our field so that we can read and study the scripture so we can show you what it says in in-depth studies. And not everybody's called to be an expert, but there are some experts out there that, like my professors that are teaching so that they can equip the saints to know the word more so that we can go out and help equip people more. You have expert witnesses. But we're, not everybody has to be an expert to be a witness. Amen. You don't, have to be an, you don't have to know Hebrew and Greek. You don't know how to look, look at all the historical and literary context of Scripture to be able to walk up to somebody and say, do you know Jesus? Can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you what God's done in my life? You don't have to be an expert to do that. You just have to witness of what he's done and what you know about him. And that's your step as a follower of Jesus. I know Christ. I know him. I know what he's done for me. I can witness to that. So as a follower of Jesus, that's my challenge for you today. Just tell people what he's done. And don't be ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed of it. Because he's not ashamed of you. But he does say this. If you're ashamed of me in front of people, I can't tell, I can't tell my father about you. But if you're willing to be unashamed, I'm willing to be unashamed to you in front of my father. Because I see Jesus up in heaven saying, God, you see my girl Michelle? Daddy, you see her? She's doing it. She's doing it. She's telling people. You see my boy Adon over there? After he asked that girl out, God, he's doing it. He's telling people about Jesus. <laughs> I see God doing that. I see Jesus saying, I'm proud of you. When you share, when you tell people about me, because I want them to know me. I want them to know my love for them. I want them to know the hope I have for them. I want them to know the joy. I don't want them to live a life where they feel so broken and beaten and, and hopeless and helpless. I died for them too. And I put it in you to tell them about me. Don't be ashamed. Just be a witness. I can use anybody. I can empower you to do, to do anything if you'll just say yes. If you're just willing to try, shock yourself how good it's going to be. Shock yourself. Something you feel you have no right to do, something you feel like you're completely unqualified to do, try it and see what happens.
Yeah. You might fall flat on your face. Or you might see someone who didn't know Jesus find Jesus for the first time. Are you willing to take that risk? Are you willing to take that risk? And then there's some of us who who've been following Jesus for years and we're already sharing our faith and we have family members and friends and coworkers that we're telling people, we're telling them about Jesus and that's awesome. That's awesome. I think that you should begin to ask God to give you more influence and reach to share his, to share his love with other people even in a bigger, bigger sphere of influence. God, begin to ask God, God, give me, Give me more influence at work. Give me more influence in my town, in my city. I think it's what's powerful about chapter 3. It says that the rulers of certain districts began to rebuild the wall. Maybe we need some people in our city councils and our school boards that are willing to say, I'm not afraid and I'm not ashamed to tell people about Jesus. God, give me a bigger influence so that I can tell more people about Jesus. Those of you who've been walking with Christ for years and you're, you're being faithful, ask for a bigger circle of influence that God would use you in bigger places because he's given you that authority. He's given you that power. And he wants you to share your faith. Amen. Amen. We all have a spot on the team that only we can fill. Only we can fill it. And today, the Bible is telling us through Nehemiah chapter 3, the words of God, that God can empower us to do great things for him when we say yes to him. Amen.